0: Daniel chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Does God Have Your Full Attention? And that's a great question to ask. Does God have your full attention? And there are a lot of ways that God uses to get our attention. Can you give me an amen on that? There are a variety of ways that God uses to get our attention. I mean, really to get our full and undivided attention not just times where we turn our attention to worship him in church or we turn our attention through our devo life, but through life circumstances, God is drawing us into deeper relationship with him to get our attention. And I believe God wants you to be reminded today that he wants your full undivided attention. He doesn't want you listening to this world more than you listen to him. He doesn't want you influenced by the winds of culture and the fads and the trinkets of this world. He doesn't want for us to be more influenced by social media than we are by the word of God. He wants us to trust his word, to read it, to receive it, to act out upon it. And he uses a variety of ways. I can't help but remembering that in an arid desert, there was this little bush all lit up with fire. And as this bush was on fire without burning up, What happened to it? It began to talk. Now, wouldn't you think that a talking, burning bush would get your attention? I think it would. Although it was unique to Moses, it was the tool that God used to get his attention in the moment. I think of the prophets of Baal, the false teachers, the false prophets, as they receive a stunning message from God up on Mount Carmel as fire came down from heaven. If you go to Israel with us, we will take you up to a plateau on Mount Carmel. And it's a glorious time to think of how God used that very area on more than one occasion to get the attention of his people. I think of Saul of Tarsus. He's headed down the road toward Damascus, ready to destroy as many Christians as he can, thinking that he was doing God a service, and yet it was God who shone this bright light and introduced Jesus Christ, introduced himself personally to Saul Tarsus and radically forever changed his life. There are a lot of ways that God uses to get our attention. I mean, one of the most dramatic and funny ones in the Bible is, and it happened with our friend Balaam. Some of you are familiar with the true story of Balaam. He was on his way to betray God, this prophet. If you want to jot it down, well, let's turn there. Stay in Daniel. Go to Numbers chapter 22. And let's look for a moment at this unusual story, true story of Balaam and how God spoke to him. Notice in verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped by the plains of Moab, Numbers 22, way back to the left. They camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was sick and with dread because of the children of Israel. He goes on to ask for a, uh, for a prophet. He, asked that he calls for Balaam, which was a, he was a prophet of Israel, to curse the Egyptians to fight on his behalf, but God told him no. And the king of Moab wouldn't take it, so he sends more men and more money in Numbers 22 to plead with Balaam to do this. And this time, God says, go ahead, Balaam, you can go. And as he does, though, his heart's lifted up with greed. Notice in verse 22, it says, then God's anger was aroused because as he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on the donkey, he and his two servants with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road. And the angel of the Lord stood, verse 24, in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam and i wonder what the voice was hey balaam i don't know what the voice was but the donkey says what it had to be it would have to be a female voice but what have i done to you that you have struck me these 3 times and balaam said to the donkey which is more which is funnier than the first because now he's having a talk he's talking with his donkey and balaam says hey because you've abused me I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to stand against you because your way is is perverse. The donkey saw me and turned aside. If she didn't turn aside from me, verse 33, surely I would have also killed you by now and let her live. God uses a lot of things to get our attention. He'll use anything. Sometimes it's a hospital room. It's a doctor's office. It's a diagnosis. It's an unforeseen sickness, a surgery, a surprise visit, a text message. A few zeros in your bank account. Maybe a negative sign on your bank account. It's a pink slip. It's singleness, it's loneliness, it's fears, anxieties. These are attention grabbers for sure. But other times, God gets our attention through the clear teaching of his word. God gets our attention as his word is opened up and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He has a word for us. You know, just in listening to this dramatic, funny story of the prophet Balaam talking to his donkey is a word from God to some that you are going in the wrong direction and you need to stop and fall on your face in repentance before God. It's not about pleasing a pastor, it's not about doing what the church tells you to do. Listen, the Bible supersedes the church, the Bible came before the church in many ways. The Old Testament, God, he precedes the church. And a lot of times, people resist the leadership of the church because they understand clearly what the Bible says and are looking for a way out. So they just come up with excuses with people. When you know what the Bible says, you know what it says about your behavior. You know what it says about your heart. You know what it says. And you go, well, you know what, then uh, let God send me a donkey. Well, I'm as close as a donkey as you're going to get today. (laughs) And in many ways... I am a fool for Christ. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen the foolishness of the simplicity of the gospel. A lot of times God will just speak to you by the reading of the Bible, by teaching, sound biblical teaching that uses the Bible as what it says, takes from the text. Let me give you a couple words to understand when it comes to interpreting the Bible. They're very important and you want to know the difference. The methodology that we use and which is a custom and acceptable for studying and interpreting the Bible is a word called exegesis and you can spell it e-x-e-g-e-s-i-s, I I believe, exegesis and it means that when we approach the Bible, we allow the Bible to teach us and so the Bible study comes from the Bible. That's our goal, to open the Bible and allow it to say what it says and that means we keep things in context. That, that means we allow the Bible to say what it says before and after to give you the cultural understanding, the, the, what it meant to the original hearers, so then we can give you the application of what it may mean to us today. Exegesis. That's a very important, you need to find a church where they are committed to the ex, sound exegesis of the Bible. You need that in your life, otherwise you're going to starve to death, literally, because the opposite is what seems to be very popular today. And on occasion, we fail in this area too. That's why the Bible says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And the opposite of exegesis is something known as isegesis, And it's not Jesus, but Jesus. You know what I mean. I-S-I-G-E-S-I-S, I think is how it's spelled. It might be different. I don't have it in my notes. But isegesis means that you read into the text. You make it say something that it doesn't say. And we all know and we've all heard people say, you know, you can, I can, give me the Bible, I can make it say whatever I want it to say. That's actually pretty true. You can take this little verse over here and this little verse over here and you can take, I mean, one look today, you're just flipping on so-called Christian television during their fundraising times will tell you this. They just make up stuff. We want to give you the, you know, Jeremiah 33 promise. And 33, that means God's going to give you a 33,000 fold of your giving. And like, what are you talking about? Open the Bible and see that Genesis 33, 3 has nothing to do with what they say. Why? Because they read it into the text. You don't want to be in a church that does that. You don't want to be following a man that does that. You don't want to be following a teacher that does that. But here's the problem. We like that. The Bible says in the last days it's going to be hard to endure sound doctrine and so what do we do when we don't like what the Bible teaches? That's really what that means. We don't, we don't like sound doctrine. We don't like what we're hearing. We don't like what the Bible is saying. It seems like it's always convicting me or causing me to grow or, you know, you don't want to, we're watching a Bible study too, part of our staff devos today, and the brother was telling us the pastor was saying, "Look, you don't want to come to church just for the sense of being comfortable, and oh, I want to leave, I want to be encouraged, I want to feel uh, good when I leave." That that's that, that happens sometimes, but but you don't want a pastor that just hits that mark in your life already every week and say, "Oh, I hope you feel better, I, I I hope you enjoyed the message, and and I hope everything." No, you want a pastor that speaks prophetically and calls you to the higher level. You don't want to be in the lower levels. You want to be in a church church. that's calling you to a higher living, that that is growing in the sanctification of living in Christ, one that's willing to tell you the truth, tell you in love, but you don't want to just be around and just settle down in in comfort and ease and not be growing in the things of God. We want to always be growing, and we don't want to just have those times where, well, let's find a verse and we'll come up with some Bible study around the verse, but rather, what is God telling us through his word? Because, I mean, think about it. We're here for 90 minutes on a Wednesday night. You're tuned in on the radio and you, you've got, maybe you're on your way to work when this airs and, and you're, you're getting some of the Bible. But for the most part, you live in a world that's saturated with sin in a whole different culture, a whole different, you know, Christianity is a subculture, sometimes even sub, sub, subculture of the broader culture that the Bible describes as the world. And, and the, those that love the world, the Bible says, the love of the Father is not in them. And so what does the world do? The world does everything possible to cause you and me to fall in love with this world, to make you uns, uh, dissatisfied and discontented with your spiritual life. And you don't endure sound doctrine. you start. The Bible says in those last days when you don't endure sound doctrine, then we start to raise up for ourselves teachers that will scratch that itch. And then we, ultimately, we're the ones that lose. Our families are the ones that lose. And the kingdom loses. And it's not the will of God. God answers us as we open his word. He promises to guide us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus promised when he sent the Holy Spirit in John 16 that the Spirit of God will guide us. Some of you are looking for guidance today. God promises you to guide you. That the Bible will open up to you. Um, if you've ever fallen out of love with the Bible, you know, you just got tired of reading it or you don't want, you haven't read it in a while, I like to tell you, go back to Psalm 119. Start, don't, don't pick up where you left off necessarily. Go back to Psalm 119 and just read through of all the blessed, beautiful benefits and the power of God's Word. It's a long Psalm so it'll take a little while but it'll encourage you just reading like all of Psalm 119 is yours and mine by faith. It all belongs to us. All of the Bible was inspired by God. It's all profitable. It all builds us up and teaches us and instructs us. And and our church, my commitment as a pastor, is to continue as long as I possibly can teaching you the Bible verse by verse, asking God for wisdom for our church, while asking God for wisdom that everyone's connected to our church, for the broader church, that I might be more prophetic in our teaching here, not less prophetic. That there'd be more stirring up, not less stirring up. That there would be more encouragement, but sometimes to be encouraged is to be reminded of God's love, to be reminded of our own sinfulness and how God, you know, even Balaam, you know, we get stuck on on the donkey, but really the focus is on God and God's faithfulness to speak to a guy that wouldn't listen and who was dull. He didn't see what his, his donkey saw, the angel, but Balaam didn't. And God arranged to get his attention so he could see the glory of God. And God will arrange to get your attention even as we see today in Daniel chapter two. So come back with me as we see God getting the attention of a heathen, unbelieving king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we are just starting on our journey in the book of Daniel and we are in our seventh Bible study. So if you're just joining us, we've had six studies preceding this. And it started in verse 1, chapter 1, with two introductory Bible studies laying the foundation and groundwork and background of Daniel. And then we jumped right in. So we're starting a new chapter today. So come with me, Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation as that becomes uh, the text that we use to study it. So verse 1. One night during the second year of his reign... Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. And as they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. And when the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. We are in the time of the captivity of Daniel and his friends being trained in the kingdom of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is is a guy that is anti-God in every way. Uh, some of you work for people like that. Some of you have neighbors. Some of you are married to people like that. Some of you have friends, family that are just anti-God. But one of the things you're going to learn about Nebuchadnezzar, that even the most hardened anti-God person is not beyond the reach of God. Now, Daniel doesn't know this because he's living it in front of him, face-to-face, day-by-day, just like you. You're living your life right now day-by-day, face to You don't know what tomorrow brings, you don't know what breakthrough is going to come. You don't know what changes around the corner. You don't know what God's preparing you to walk into. You don't know. You're living life today, so you're learning to abide in the moment because you never know what God is going to do. He, he's always working and always on time. He's always working in our lives, delivering to us exactly what he wants in his timing. And so Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know. He's just living a hate-filled life. Daniel doesn't know the end, but he's learning to live faithfully. And remember, jot this down in 2 Peter chapter three, verse nine, God is willing and wanting to speak to anyone that will listen. God's voice goes out to anyone who will listen. His voice does not simply go out to the elect. Jesus died for everyone. And his voice goes out to everyone. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I, I often think of this passage when I'm praying for leaders, and I'm praying for rulers, and I'm praying for government officials and authorities. And in the book of Titus, in Titus chapter two, verse one, he, Titus is told by Paul, he says, but as for you, speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. The older men be sober, reverent, Temperate, sound in faith and love, in patience, and the older women likewise, that they be reverent with in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. And I wonder, as you think of in the life of young Titus, this pastor, as he's developing and discipling his church, as we have right now, like the word of God to you is stay usable. Because you never know when Nebuchadnezzar comes and has a dream that needs to be interpreted. You just don't know. You don't know when that knock on the door is coming. You don't know when the phone call is coming. You don't know. And so be ready, be temperate, be sound in faith. And I wonder as we're praying for people, I wonder if the, an- the answer to our prayer, God will send a dream to trouble them. He wouldn't let them sleep. He'd set circumstances alight in their lives that they cry out for help. And who do they cry out to? You. And how do they respond? Maybe by fighting or getting harder or more difficult. But God is at work. And now Nebuchadnezzar gets this troubling dream. Who can get close to Nebuchadnezzar in his sleep? I mean, very few people are going to be around the king in their sleep. Who can get in Nebuchadnezzar's head while he's sleeping? Only God. He's resting and he's behind all these locked doors. He's got all these guards. Everybody's around Nebuchadnezzar. You think, well, who could get to Nebuchadnezzar? God can get to Nebuchadnezzar. You have that person, you're like, well, I don't know who could ever reach that person. God could reach that person. And God has been reaching that person. You know, we have these smaller ways humanly that God has given to us to reach behind walls and locked doors and, and get into places where like, people wouldn't normally come to a church service. They wouldn't come into a building like this. I mean, many people, one of the reasons we added church to our name is that people driving by here have no idea this is a church. And so we're like, hey, 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 guess what? They're, this is a church. And we love you and we'll serve you here. And that, As we change the signage soon enough, we'll be able to announce again that, hey, this is a church. And we're here to serve you in Jesus' name. But until then, we've also taken other methods to get behind in places that normally we wouldn't get to. And one of them is radio, social media, the internet. I was just reading a letter, and I need to remember, I think the brother's name was Timothy. I just read a letter this morning of the mail that was on my desk. It's written on this long white paper in pencil, both sides on the, it was sent to us, and maybe he's listening right now, it was sent to me personally with my name uh, from the, uh, is it the Weld County Jail in Fort Collins? The Weld County Jail in Fort Collins. And he took the time to write out this note of saying how much he appreciated uh, the Bible teaching, you know, the Bible teaching here, and he got saved through the Bible teaching here over the radio sitting in jail and he's just and i was sharing that i was sharing that with the with the team you know we we get so many of those notes of the ministry of the church of jesus christ through this little church and radio gets behind prison doors it goes in places we wouldn't normally be able to have that time radio gets into hospital rooms you know, there are people that, that put an outward, and I'm I'm talking to you right now, and in no way, don't misinterpret me, I'm not judging you, I am encouraging you, that there are people listening in the car right now that would not tell anybody in their whole life they're listening to Christian radio because they're just seeking out a hope. They don't know where to go. And so radio becomes, or they're flipping through YouTube and watching a video, a Bible study, not just our church, but all kinds of churches. And why we're trying to maximize ability to get the word out because you may have given up on someone but God hasn't given up on them. We are prone to give up on people. The person that we give up on the most is ourselves where we kind of get frustrated and we live under this weight of condemnation and we fail and we're just like I'll never make it. I'll never do it right. I'm such a lousy person And, and instead of beating yourself up just remember that Jesus Christ took a beating for you he was scourged and whipped and beaten for you. And beating yourself up, I'll tell you what it does. It makes you the God of your life. Because this is what you're doing when you, when you live in condemnation unconfessed. This is what we do. When we live in condemnation, we're saying this. And we, I know you don't use this language, but remember this. You're saying, if I was God, I wouldn't forgive myself. And so therefore, I won't. And you become the center of attention. And you become your own God, little G. You know, there's a word for that. There's a Bible word for that. You know what it is? Idolatry. We think of idolatry little uh, statues on our dashboard or, you know, the, you know uh, paintings you bow down to, putting food next to a Buddha statue. And that's, that's all idolatry. But idolatry really is running to someone or something for peace and satisfaction because even though condemnation is not fun, even though condemnation is kind of a burden, it does give you a peace and gives you this false sense that you're in control and that makes you feel good. Isn't that weird? Sin makes you feel good. Why would everybody live under the weight of condemnation if it didn't make you feel good? And so as you Come to that place. Not too long ago, we did Bible studies on this, so they're on the app. But not too long ago, we were reminded there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That is the way to get out from under the weight and burden of your sin. And all the consequences that come with your sin. And all of the mistakes that you've made. And all of the bad things you have said. And all the consequences you are currently enduring have been removed. The weight and burden have been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you will come to him today, you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins. Now, not always does God remove the, con- the consequences. But I have seen at times God has been very merciful. He's been very merciful. And I think every one of us, if we had testimony time today, could say that we have not received what we deserved in many areas of our lives because of the gracious forgiveness of God. So Nebuchadnezzar is reached by God in this dream. Now dreams, you'll notice, is in the plural. He receives them in the second year of his reign. And this could be a series of dreams or it could be the same dream over and over again. But finally they get to him and he couldn't take it anymore. Now in your Bibles, right in uh, in verse three, circle the word troubles, troubled. And right next to it, disturbed, pushed down, beaten persistently. These dreams caused him some deep emotional disruptions. These were not merely the dreams of watching a bad movie before you go to bed or being scared by something you saw on television. These were deep-seated, God-given dreams. They were no ordinary dreams. They came from God himself. Verse five, but the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn from limb to limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Now in our next study, we'll look at this a little bit more in depth. But for now, understand that Nebuchadnezzar is a tyrant filled with wrath, or what we would refer to today as an angry man. An angry man. The kind of man that would harm people, kill them to exert his control. Maybe today you would describe a man like this as, on a lower level, of course, not to the place of murder, although I think many angry, wrathful men murder in their hearts, and women, by the way have this murderous rage in their hearts. It's a big problem in the body of Christ. It's not okay to be an angry man. It's not okay to be a wrathful woman. It's not okay to say, well, you know, it's just how I was raised. You know, that, that's just my background. That's the kind of temperament. That's my personality. You know, I'm a particular, I'm from a particular country. No, no, that's no. No, because when you were born again, you became a new creation. And now outbursts of wrath Are literally sins against the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's your choice. I'm not talking about normal things where we get angry. We all and there's even righteous anger, but for those of us that grew up with anger problems, we don't mess around with righteous anger because hey, just let the Lord do it. Just let the Lord do it. Just just allow Him. He's the righteous one, and and so we'll look at that in depth. Uh, next time I'll develop that. But for now, just understand that's Nebuchadnezzar. He's the kind of who would punch a hole in the wall, throw things, scream around. He'd be known as an abuser today. Uh, he'd be thrown in jail. You call 911 on him, although he's in a place of authority. But he's an angry man. And this is an area that destroys lives. So God gets this angry man's attention in his sleep. And he calls for those that he trusts. And look who he calls. He calls magicians, these are the sacred scribes, the, the astrologers, the sacred scribes. The, um, they were also whisperers of secret mysteries. We have sorcerers, which were basically ancient witch doctors of the day. The wise men are the priests. Uh, and you can see back in verse 2, the command was to call magicians. And I'm reading from the New King James. Astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. And so you've got sacred scribes, people they trusted, men of wisdom, uh, whisper of secret mysteries, you know, the astrologers. I don't know how popular it is today, but, you know, years ago, the astrology was really popular. You know, what's your sign, and, and what, is it, what does it have to say to about me? And, you know, if you're this particular sign, then you're this particular temperament. And then I read they did an experiment of sending the same exact horoscope to a hundred different people, but said it was written for you specifically. But it was the same one to a hundred people. And almost everybody wrote back thanking them for the exact accuracy of that horoscope. Because there's that natural tendency for us to respond to auto-suggestion. And this area of occult is nothing to mess around with. It's real. I know it doesn't get portrayed as, you know, it even gets portrayed as kind and nice. But the occult is real. The devil is real. And he deals in the areas of darkness And there is a greater rise, and you'll see this in every culture. You will see an increase in drug use that is corresponding with an increase in occultism and mysticism. They go together. Drug use opens the gateway to darkness. It deadens your senses. That's why the Bible over and over again says, man, be sober, be vigilant, be ready there's a rise of occultism and witchcraft and black magic and neo-paganism and even paganism itself rules the day. It is the popular thing. TV shows, movies, books, websites, social media filled with this stuff. Why? Because it would be easy for us to stand and, and be, be critical of the darkness of our world, but that wouldn't, that, that isn't what God has called us to do. God has called us to turn the light on in darkness. And I believe what we're seeing in the rise of of all of the, the, the things that are destroying people's lives is just reminding us that there is a spiritual thirst and hunger in the people of this earth. Don't you remember when you were hungry and thirsty spiritually? Has it been that long that you forgot how hopeless your situation was? Now, I know some of you listening, you grew up in a very godly home and you were raised the right way, but you have to then take that illustration and you have to translate it into all the sinful temptations that you had to resist and how hard it was and how alone you felt and how you felt like there was nobody else around you that believed like you and you just felt like so alone. So why not just do it? Because you got the pressure and why not just take that first hit? Why not just take that first hit on the vape and you're not even knowing what it's in? Just take the pill. Just, just go this way. Just follow us. But you're not alone. We're not alone. God has reserved many people that follow him today. You can just look, take a minute, look around the room. Don't forget what this is. This is Wednesday night, folks. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Most of your friends and family, you know, people that, they're they're hanging out somewhere else. But you're in church, why? You're in a building, really. You are the church, but why? Because you want to fall in love deeper with your Lord and Savior Jesus. You're not here to follow some rule. You're not here because you have to be here. You don't have to be here. I don't have to be here. Well, I guess I do, but you don't have to be here. I don't, you know, we, 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 we press in to the things of God because we love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we want of Him. We want to grow. We need this. One of the reasons why there was a season where many churches had Sunday night services. Most churches don't have Sunday night services. But do you know there's also a trend where just a few years ago, many churches had midweek services, and now a lot of churches don't even have midweek services anymore. There's a variety of reasons for that. And and again, you know, leadership makes the decisions they make. But the reality is, is that we need more of gathering times, not less. We need to be encouraged more, not less. And the opportunities for the Lord to use us and when I remember in the formation years of our ministry and God was just given vision I just remember like if God ever gave us a building if he ever let us meet in a building that we would want this building used as much as possible every day of the week through the life of this church and, and that it would people you know because we have a policy that we don't rent the building out we don't rent the building out our building, we, we are not in the building rental business. And so our building's not for rent. And we get many, many calls all the time. Can we use your building? Can we? No, you can't. Well, why? Because we're using it. We're using it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, if we have an empty room, we're praying for an empty room to be used by the God. And I know there's, a, there's, a, there's that opportunity to reach the lost, to reach, and that's great. And we have opportunity to do that by my responsibility is to teach you the word of God so that you might be built up, so you could do the work of the ministry. And it's not just about gathering to a building, but it's about you every day going out into the community and being the salt and light. And so fortunately, even with the school here, not only does the building used all the time, but it gets beat up pretty bad. And you look around and go, man, that's broke, that's broke, that's broke. We'll fix it soon enough, but I bet you that thing that got broke was a kid, one of your kids, You will get an email soon enough. So we've got cameras all over the place. But it was your kid on the property running around doing what kids do in a break time that they weren't in class learning about Jesus Christ. So can we have broke things around the building? You bet we can. Because the building's getting used. And, And so we'll fix things and clean things as fast as we can. But it's not about a clean. This isn't a museum. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And it's to be used by the people of God, and to be filled by folks that are getting saved and being changed. This is so exciting, because people like Nebuchadnezzar get saved. And yeah, there's a darkness in this world. There's a difficulty, but God doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. Notice verse six. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me. And they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And the king replied, I know what you guys are doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. So you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. This is, this is wisdom. This is wisdom from Nebuchadnezzar because the king can't sleep. He calls for his wise men. They aren't, they aren't wise after all because they can't help him because they don't know the dream. They can't help him. You tell us the dream, then we'll help you out. And Nebuchadnezzar, knows, no, if you, really, if you really are who you say you are, you tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And then I'll know you or really know what you're talking about. And it's just like the lies of this world, you know? You go to the world for help and they say they know, but they don't know. I mean, another thing that burns me so much are these guys that, and gals now is a popular gal on TV that says that she can talk to the dead. Man, that ticks me off so bad. Such manipulation. Such, it doesn't even have words. If your loved one died in Christ, they are safe, secure in the presence of Jesus Christ right now. You don't go to some astrologer or some gal that's got a TV show or charging you money, uh, and and it, it's all so fake. It's all just kind of guessing and walking along, watching you. They're ex, you know what they are? They're experts in body language, and they watch you, and they watch your eyes and your eyelids and your body, and, and they just start suggesting until they get something, and then once they get something, you give them the rest. No, you 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 want comfort for your lost loved one? You go to the Lord. You want a question about life's issues? You come to those that would open the Bible and give you the answer. you be willing to receive from God. You you don't want man's opinion. You want God's opinion. And only God's opinion is found in the scriptures. And I know there's a lot of debate. I know it frustrates you, frustrates me at times where there's all this arguing and interpretation over secondary things, you know, just arguing about someone's interpretation. But if you can get past all the arguments and get to the word of God, God will speak to you. And forgive us if we get caught up in the arguments of secondary things. That's not what you need. You need the truth. And let the truth be the truth. And let it speak to your heart. And let a man and a woman that you go to take, that, take you past themselves to the God that can really help you to comfort and encourage you. So they don't know. Nebuchadnezzar knows that. Verse 11, or excuse me, verse 10. The astrologers replied to the king, No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods, little g, can tell you your dream. And they do not live here among people. Verse 12, the king was furious when he heard this. Again, his anger. You're going to see this in our next time together. He was furious and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. And as we close today and we head out, I want to remind you of something. Daniel and the rest of the Bible. So you might want to jot this down so you remember it. The book of Daniel is not a true story about Daniel. Although it is a true story about Daniel. Everything we read is true. But the book of Daniel is not about Daniel. The book of Daniel is about God. The highlight of the scriptures is about God. Pointing to his all sufficiency, his care, his love, ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. When you read the Bible, you've got to look for Jesus on every page. Is he taught, is he teaching, is it pointing to Jesus? Like the whole Bible is actually not about the characters. As important as they are, there are brothers and sisters, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar will be soon enough. But it's, it's not about, well, let's get into Daniel. So, yes, Daniel is on center stage as we read to bring, he's really not on center stage, he's on a little stage. God is on the big stage, and it's all about God. Well, look at Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Yeah, but God spoke to him. And God will, that speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ, who will speak to a rebellious world and break through. And now the book of Daniel is about prophecy. It's a book about purity. We're going to follow Daniel and his friends, the lion's den, all the amazing things. But God is on center stage. He's in charge. He rules over all. And there's a Bible word for that. And that is God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And these pagan priests and wise men, they even admit it. They won't even offer an answer to tr- or try because they know deep down they don't have any clue what's going on. They've been faking it, faking it, faking it. And even on occasion, you know, the devil might show some insight. You know, he might give some, some insight or they might guess properly. But the biggest liars and the biggest fakers in this world, they know it. They know You see, their gods, little g, let them down because it's all a sham. Yet it's all a setup for God. These dreams coming to King Nebuchadnezzar were a divine setup. God is in control. And Nebuchadnezzar, it's not even about the dreams. The dreams are very significant. And God uses them in the plan that he's going failing for the future of the world but it's actually not even about the dreams it's about getting Nebuchadnezzar connected to God it's about God using Daniel and his friends protecting them i mean over and over again we see remember we got Daniel he was kidnapped as a kid teenager drastic horrible horrific we can't even we can't even really feel the depth of the pain that Daniel felt but what do we find him Daniel standing strong by faith he doesn't know how the future is going to hold up. He says, you know what? I, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do this. But I will not get drunk and I won't eat the king's food. I, I'm, I'm not doing it. It's too, it's, that's the, remember, we learned he drew the line. I'm not crossing that line. I can learn Babylonian culture without compromising. I can serve in the government without compromising. But I'm not going there. That, that would be a great con. That would be to, to not no longer worship God through my food, no longer worship God through my commitment. That would break my covenant with God. I won't do it. I'm 16 years old. I won't do it. And you go, you, you young people, you have to make the decision. It doesn't matter what people say, how they respond, when you get to the line that's been drawn, you have to say, I won't do it. And not, well, maybe let me try, let me see. And as he makes that commitment, God is moving all the chess pieces. I know sometimes our lives feel like a marble game of marbles, you know, just bouncing around, getting hit in the head. And, and, but, but really, our life is like a chess game, and God's putting all the pieces together. And now some of you don't even understand chess. I know, sometimes you don't understand our lives either. You know, where does this piece go and what does it do? And, you know, when, when you see people playing marbles, it's very different than seeing somebody play chess. And you just think of God looking over you putting all the pieces together in your life. And then you're watching uh, somebody play chess if you're really good at it. I I don't happen to be, but if you're really good at it and you see a movie, and you're, don't make that move. But they actually have a different strategy than you have. And that move is the best move to make. And we look at the moves of God in our lives and we're just like, I don't know. I don't understand. But God, he has you firmly. He's sovereignly in control. He hasn't forgotten you. He isn't neglecting you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's moving the pieces of your life around, even if it means you're watching Nebuchadnezzar because now Daniel faces his next trial. They're going to kill him. For what? What did he do? He's not even one of the false guys, but it's a divine setup. It's a time where God is setting things together so that he can perform, he can show him, God, so that God can show off through Daniel. And do a miracle. Isn't it neat when God sets things up for you? We call them divine appointments. We don't always think they're divine appointments to begin with. But then when you look back, you go, man, that was just from the Lord. Now, I have met people that just, they're so positive that they see everything as a divine appointment. (laughs) Maybe one day I'll get there. Even the difficulties. Oh, my car broke down. A wheel fell off. I'm hopping around because I lost my shoe. What an appointment from the Lord. What are you going to do, Lord? And it's such a beautiful way to see God's hand in everything in our lives. Where you just come to that place where you sense you're at the right place at the right time. And even God gives you all the right answers, as you'll see with Daniel. And you look at it and you go, man, this is just from the Lord. I love that. I love when God reveals that to me. You know, our, our arrival to Aurora, our getting involved in this small little Bible study that's meeting up, at the, up the street here in the basement of a Baptist church, where God ended up landing us to live, where I was working, the timing of it all, the, just the, how God arranged it, I, I, I couldn't have done that. God gets all the glory. And just to think back, and you think back of your own story when you arrived and what God did in your life and how he did this in your life and how you're here and how God, and I know sometimes the weight of burdens and difficulties, you don't think that way. You might even be here today thinking, I don't like being here because being here is associated with pain and sorrow and difficulty in my life. But God has brought you to this place. You're here by the will of God. You go, no, Ed, I'm here disobeying God. Well, even God uses your disobedience, and he trumps it, and he uses even the places you're disobedient, and he'll follow you there. You know, how many times has somebody got out and got all drunk, and then God sobered them up? They're like, man, I wasted all this money, and now I'm all sober. Yep. Because God loves you, and he's pursuing you, and he cares for you. And you know, like we learn with Paul, sometimes the winds are contrary Sometimes people are against us. That's part of Acts 27 where the majority want to get, you know, come against Paul. Sometimes you, you can't even see what's going on. The stars, you don't even have bearings. You lose your equilibrium. It feels like you got punched in the gut. And you're just like, whoa, Lord, what, what, what? And hey, it's okay, you're going to make it. It's okay, you're going to make it. Look at somebody and say, you're going to make it. Go ahead. So, tell somebody here today, you're going to make it. Say it out loud. Says, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You are in Jesus Christ by faith, you're going to make it. Let Daniel be an encouragement to you. You're going to make it all the way. Well, next time we'll get into the rest of the chapter and be ready in our next study because we'll be looking at anger. Um, We'll spend a little bit of time developing that so that God could release you from being a man or a woman of wrath. And so, Father, we ask that this divine setup and all that you're doing in Daniel's life, that we would also relate in our own hearts of what you're doing in our lives. How many of us have complained and murmured and even gotten mad at you for where we are in life and the pain that we've experienced and the difficulties that are currently in this room right now that are not to be taken lightly. These are not just little glib words. But they come from a God who's trustworthy And I believe they come through a man that also deals with this and needs to learn to lean on you and trust you. Also, Lord, you have used me to uh, be an example of how you can give strength to a person. And this room is filled with examples of faithful men and women facing the tragedies and the difficulties in their lives and doing so with joy and strength. We're not perfect, Lord but you are. So I pray that you would bring comfort to those, even to the brother that I met tonight who received some really, really bad news about his kids, that you would just comfort him, Lord. There's just nothing man can do. It's just, God, you need to act. You need to intervene. And while we wait, we'll trust you. We'll live for you. We'll be passionately pursuing the lost, loving our neighbor, serving them, encouraging them. So as we leave here, God, be glorified in our lives. Remind us that you're on the center stage. Uh, Even the situation we're going through is not about us, it's about you. What you're wanting to accomplish. Pray for every prodigal kid that's represented here today. Every son, every daughter that's turned their back on you. I pray for the parent recently that shared with me that their uh, son uh, just declared to them that, that he's gay and it's been a hard journey for them and they've been beating themselves up. I pray you'd comfort them. I pray for the parent that found out that their kids are smoking pot, vaping it, and it's uh, just overwhelmingly sorrowful for them. And I just recall, Lord, that you, you go to the depths of depravity and save. So we just pray your saving power in people's lives. We pray for the Nebuchadnezzars in our lives, the impossible. So that, that, God, you reach the impossible. That with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And that as we were reminded today, we're going to make it. We're going to get through. You've brought us through today. And should we wake in the morning, you're going to meet us in the morning. And I pray for good dreams for believers tonight. But people that need troubling dreams, I mean, that's up to you, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to pray for good dreams. And I wanted people to be encouraged. I want people to get rest and sleep, those that have faith in you and those that don't, that they would come to faith to you today they would receive you the forgiveness of sins. So if you're here today or you're listening on the radio and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you haven't placed your faith in the God who loves you and sent his son Jesus Christ to live for you, to die for you and Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. He is not in the grave, he's alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is God incarnate, he is God in human flesh who came to save your souls and forgive you of your sins to reveal his God-given purpose, his God-given design for your life. Your destiny is in Jesus Christ if you will come to him and you will turn away from your sins and devote yourself to following him. So if you're here today, you say, Ed, that's my life. That's the freedom I need to celebrate, forgiveness of my sins. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day that you dedicate your life to following God by accepting Jesus Christ into your life. Is there anyone here that say, that's me, Ed? Oh, I want to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. It's such a glorious day. I know that there are those listening on the radio, so we'll get to you in a moment. But for those in the room, maybe downstairs, but here now, today is the day of salvation. You need to be saved. There's just no other way around it. You are separate from God. And you know it. God is calling you to Himself, calling you to a higher level of living. God is holy and righteous and good. And you would never even understand what I'm saying had the Holy Spirit not drawn you to Himself. God, imagine that pursuing you. And so, for the sake of those that might be on the radio listening, Let's that say, that's me. Or even here, you're like, I don't want to stand. And, and I get that. Standing doesn't save you, though. So it's really just for you. you got to remember, like, that was it. I took a stand for Jesus. But it's all symbolic, because God saves. And he saves in the inner man and the inner woman. But the Bible says that you need to call upon him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says if you, believe, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want to give you a chance to do that. You could, say, you could talk directly to God and say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward turning away from my sins, laying them before you, God, and trusting you with the remainder of my life. I'm sorry it's taken this long. And Father, I know anyone anywhere that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I pray for those that would call upon you today, near or far, that you would meet them where they are, transform them, that it would be real and genuine and sincere. And for the rest of us, we get to rejoice in the ongoing work that you have done. You're not done with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at eight seven seven three zero 30 grace That's 877 304